Do you have any guesses for what we're going to be talking about today? No, I have no idea, and I forgot how to podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot, too. I, I thought you were going to guess Bridgerton. Oh, well, I mean, is that it? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> I thought since I told you you should do a Bridgerton episode that you wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> what we're actually talking about is tipping, like gratuities. And I'm curious if you know anything at all about the history of tipping. I have no idea. This is actually a little bit in your wheelhouse, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you about it. But I was nervous that you might know more than I do. I have Um, no idea. This is such a good topic, especially because tipping is such a big thing here. And growing up in Spain, it's not a big thing. mm -hmm. Besides, like, if you have some change, leaving some change, or if you're at, like, a fancier place. But I have no idea. My guess would be that it has something to do with labor movements or something or like not having good minimum wage and so creating Mm -hmm. a culture around adding to that but I have no idea yeah so the the labor movement I mean makes an appearance in history I'm not sure how how well I'll be able to speak to that part of it but like they make an appearance and minimum wage surely makes an appearance but I'm glad you mentioned how the culture is so different in Europe because that was one of the first things I was going to ask you about was like I feel like your mom grew up primarily in New York City right and your dad grew up in Spain and I'm curious just like growing up what was the rhetoric around tipping if any was there any culture shock when you visited your grandma in the U.S. and otherwise other personal experiences with tipping I'm curious to hear from you. I don't think there was a culture shock because I came to the U.S. often and like in movies and stuff Mm. I would see it happen but I didn't really understand why it was only an American thing And I didn't understand how much you had to tip. And I didn't go out to eat that much when I was growing up in Spain. But when we did, my parents would leave like a couple coins. Yeah. And then in the U.S., it was more like bills. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I was like, what's the deal? Like, was the service? I saw it more as like you give more if you really liked the service to give that particular person a little extra. Mm -hmm. And I heard a lot of like, oh, double the tax or oh, so-and-so is a really good tipper. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And I didn't know like what, what percentage people were giving. I didn't even know it was a percentage. I wasn't sure if you had to do it everywhere or if it was just like if you went out to a nice place. Yeah, I, I wasn't really sure what was going on or I didn't think about it that hard. But I was like, oh, that's a, that's a New York thing. We do that in New yeah. York. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that at home. Well, it's funny because I was actually, as you know, lucky enough to study abroad in Madrid. And... I feel like some of the travel books and like the orientation programs for abroad universities, like they, they kind of let you know, look, don't tip. It's a little bit insulting, but I, I almost didn't realize how many professionals we actually tip in the U S. Yeah. And so the first time I went to get my nails done, I remember being like, wait, Laura, do I have to, do I, do we tip? We don't tip. And she was like, you wait, you tip people who do your nails in the U.S.? Like, fuck no, you don't have to do that here. And I was like, oh, okay, just just wanted to check. That's such a good point because I always forget about that. And I still have, I don't have like a, a lot of criteria as to who I'm supposed to tip outside of the restaurant industry. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a little frustrating if you're looking at services and you're like, oh, okay, this massage is $60 or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm expecting to spend today. And then- if you don't know that that's like, oh, you have to take tip into account and whatever. It's like things add up. Like, why can't things just be the price that they are? Like, why, why do I have to pay more? I know. I know. Why am I paying the salary? Why is your employer not paying you? <laughs> <clears throat> the real questions. 
But no, it's true. Even even price transparency here is worse generally because I remember Lauda, who I just mentioned, she was my host sister when I was in Spain and she really wanted to buy herself an iPhone and she had been saving up for it for a while. And she was like, it's cheaper in the US. Mm. Like, can you get one for me and I will send you the money or I'll like have you add my card to yeah. Apple Pay or something like that. And I was like, sure, definitely. And when I bought it, it was like hundreds of dollars more than she thought because yeah. there was tax. And she was like, what? Like on, on the website in Spain, when it lists the price, that includes a tax. I was like, really? Because we don't do that here. Like generally, if you look at a menu board, yeah. a list of services, a website for iPhones, beyond industries that have tipping involved, we just don't have price, price transparency yeah, that's, in general. That's, that's another thing that I, I'm not exactly sure how tax works See, I don't, I haven't like thought critically about these things. I notice when I'm in Spain, if I like go to, go to the grocery store or go buy something and it says this book is 12 euros and then I go to the cash register and now I'm used to tax here and I'm like, oh, it's going to be like 15 bucks and they're like 12 euros and I'm like, oh, right. Nice. Thank like, you oh, for uh, just, why wouldn't you just write the tax? But it's, I think it's also because each state has like a different mm-hmm. tax or whatever. So I guess it would be like difficult for manufacturers that are selling in a bunch of different places to like change the price so it's like choose your own adventure see what how much it's gonna be yeah like tampons are taxed in some states but not in others and then sales tax itself as a whole thing is a different percentage like i know that in massachusetts where i grew up there's no sales tax on clothing so i anytime i'm like online shopping i'll just send it to my mom's house and be like i'll I'll get it from you the next time i see you because yeah you're buying like an expensive and i'm trying to invest in like longer term clothing now we're so off topic but (laughs) i am trying to do that and those pieces get expensive like i don't want to spend like 10 bucks on tax yeah or places that don't tax for liquor and you just like cross over the border and Mm -hmm. go to the liquor store (laughs) yes we used to do that we used to go to new 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 hampshire Hampshire. But yeah, I feel like my primary interaction with tipping is it's, it's similar to my experience with taxes. I just don't really get it. And I just don't really get why I owe more and why this is all on me. Da, da, da. Like I get very curmudgeon and like crotchety yeah. and grumpy. But I think that's partly because I also haven't really worked a job where I've needed to be tipped. I have worked a job where I've collected tips, but that was on top of like a decent salary and it was kind of few and far between it wasn't like my bread and butter if that makes sense at the ice cream catering um of course okay <laughs> catering. <laughs> but that was yeah that, that that was different because it's like we're catering like corporate holiday parties so what would happen is like some some administrator or like exec will just sign the invoice and like out of muscle memory tip 20 percent. but if you bought yourself a three thousand dollar ice cream party 20 percent is like what is that? 600 bucks? And then if three servers are going, each of you takes home. And yeah, it was like six hours of work to pack the ice cream and drive there and set up and serve and then go home. But like each of you are taking home $200 in tips. Like that's that's insanity. Oh, it was (laughs) the most lit. You wonder why I loved it so much? (laughs) Yeah. Or like the nicest thing you could do for a coworker was like if they were having a bad day and two events were being worked at the same time and one had like a $200 tip and another one had an $80 tip, you just like switch with them and be like, yo, like you fucking need this shit and like whatever. But it was an order of magnitude different than like most tipping industries. Like I feel like that was that was like a fun surprise every other week if you got like a sick tip, but it wasn't what you relied on. Yeah. Anyway, all of this to say, the reason I want to talk about tipping is because the history is actually super fucked up and I never knew oh, about it until shocker. in college. Yeah, <laughs> shocker. In the US, something's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I went to this talk in college that 
Jane Fonda was giving. Have you ever seen the um the 1980 movie that she's in with Dolly Parton, Nine to Five? No. I have not. We need to. I have not either. We have to watch it together. Oh my God. I would love to. I actually like maybe in the last year found out that that was a movie and not just a song. (laughs) I know. Because like the song I'm familiar with, I feel like it's like a great karaoke song, but I never really thought about the lyrics. I have some of them and I'm going to read them to you. I mean, it's it's the Communist Manifesto. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Basically nine to five. Yeah. They've got you where they want you there's a better life and you think about it don't you it's a rich man's game no matter what they call it and you spend your life putting money in his wallet it's like also reading it and not hearing the fun bop that it is it's like makes you want to cry <laughs> it's dark oh yeah yeah it's like wait the melody kind of hides how dark that is <laughs> but yeah jane fond is in this movie with dolly parton that could be its entire episode but she's for years cared a lot about workers' rights, especially, like, women in the workforce and women of color in the workforce. And she came to my university 37 years after the release of the movie to talk about tipping in the service industry. That's so cool. So let us start with the history. So it actually is this, like, vestige of the caste system or the feudal system in Europe and the UK specifically. Apparently, according to this book I read, it is believed to have started in the grand Tudor homes of England, where visiting guests were expected to leave gratuities for servants. It's kind of like a disputed history. It's not so disputed where it comes from in terms of geography, but like specifically which industry or which people were tipped first. That's a little less clear. So some someone else was saying, Tipping, which may have originated in the taverns of the 17th century England, might stand for TIP, to ensure promptitude. There's not a lot on whether that's true or not, but I I thought that was like cheeky and funny. The point being, it starts in Europe, so it's not even a thing in the U.S., which is funny because as you and I were just chatting about, it's currently pretty much only a thing in the U.S. and not at all in Europe. So I guess the way it sort of was imported into the U.S. was that like wealthy traveling Americans brought the custom back to the U.S. just to kind of seem, like, cultured. (laughs) That's so embarrassing. I know! (laughs) How cringe. How cringe. They were just like, yeah, no, I've been around the block. I've done this thing called tipping in London. Have you heard of it? (laughs) So weird. But there was pretty immediately a backlash. Basically, many people believed that tipping went against the country's ideals, Because it sort of highlighted, like, there's a clear servile class that would be financially dependent on a higher class. Mm. And so there was kind of, like, this movement brewing. And they were, it was considered the vilest of imported devices. And it just, it, it was, it just seemed like, as we're kind of getting at with how cringy it is, it just seemed like these people just wanted to be aristocrats. Like, they just wanted to show off their wealth and, like, superiority, basically. Classic. Classic. But... A bunch of Americans are just, like, not into it because it feels icky. It feels anti-democratic. It feels like it just goes against what this whole American experiment has been about. Yeah. We're trying to do shit different here. But the American hospitality and railway companies, um, I guess the Pullman Company in particular, a railway company, they fought to keep the tipping system as it was because in the late 1800s, they didn't want to have to pay black people who had just been freed from slavery. So they argued that they didn't need to if people were tipping them. So it was literally a way to basically keep slavery around and just like I, perpetuate racial discrimination. I mean, we've talked about this so many times, but it's it's so interesting how you can take literally anything in modern society 
and just trace it back to a racist value. Mm -hmm. Seemingly innocuous? No. Think again. Tipping? Like, oh, yeah, I just tip. Whatever. I didn't know that this came from trying to keep slavery alive. Yikes. Yeah. No, it's really bad. And there was actually this journalist who had, I think, spent most of his life in the South, like the Southern U.S. And then in 1902, on his first trip north, he says, quote, I had never known anything but a Negro servant. Negroes take tips, of course. One expects that of them. It is a token of their inferiority. But to give money to a white man was embarrassing to me. I felt defiled by his debasement and servility. I do not now comprehend how any native-born American could consent to take a tip, which is also like, fuck you, because so many of the black people that you're referencing are native-born Americans, but whatever, could consent to take a tip. Tips go with servility, and no man who is a voter in this country is in the least justified in being in service. Which is a fucked up, like, cursed, fucked, rotted to the core quote, and is so evident of, like, racial relations at that time and, frankly, like, throughout all of the U.S.'s history. But I think it does get at how people treat their servants if they know they're the ones tipping them. Yeah. They, I feel like, no, I have the money that you need. I don't know. As he says, it seems like there is an inferior slash superior dynamic at play. Yeah, there absolutely is. I still get so jarred at (laughs) quotes like this from way back when of how brazen Mm -hmm. and overt classist and racist language was. And it's so like difficult to hear, but also... It's like, okay, we can spot that easily. And nowadays it's like sometimes harder to be like, no, but you're saying something racist here. I know. At least we can be like, that's fucked up, bro. (laughs) I know. But it's why we freaking need critical race theory because you and I both like, obviously a lot of insidious forms of racism are like institutionalized racisms that are hard to spot or things that are coded as other observations and they're not technically mentioning race. And that's just as problematic and has a lot of real world impact. Yeah. But- you and I both took, like, history classes in American curriculum. Yeah. And, like, God, I just feel like I was fucking pranked. Like, I actually feel like I was played because we were taught, like, oh, some evil people did this, like, slavery thing. And then, like, the good people got rid of it. And, like, it's yeah. been great ever since. <laughs> I know. Like, no, slavery was over at this point, And this is how people were still fucking talking about other human beings. Oh, of my God. Of course, race still is a thing right now because this was not that long ago. And I mean, I always say Harriet Tubman and Ronald Reagan overlapped. Like they were alive at the same time. This is less than two lifetimes ago. And people were yeah. talking like that. Like, of course, there is still an impact. Anyway. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry to uh, burst your bubble, but tipping is not <laughs> not as innocuous as it seems. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, back in Europe, uh. our anti-tipping movement kind of gained traction. And so they were kind of like, yeah, you're right. Like this is kind of fucked up. And so many Italian hoteliers, hoteliers <laughs> charged more, like uh, 10 to 15% more in general in lieu of tipping just to just better pay their staff. And guests were literally told, do not tip. And then if you were an employee receiving a gratuity, you were fired. And this started spreading in like Switzerland and France and all throughout Europe. It became this culture of like your employer pays your wages and you don't get tips. Yeah. As it should be. But we'll yeah. get to that. Yeah. <laughs> It's also interesting, like, the pricing things higher rather than reducing Mm -hmm. your profits. In a way that that your, like, consumer is still getting slightly fucked in the sense... Or you're spending the same amount, but in a different breakdown. Right. Rather than, we'll keep the prices as they are. And the the overhead people, like, the Mm -hmm. hotel manager will Mm -hmm. have to 
pay people more because he should have been paying them the whole time. And maybe they make a little less money on top. Yes. You're still having the consumer pay the salary. Yes. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm going to jump ahead and like low-key spoil this timeline a little bit. But there's this guy, Ray Blanchett, who is the CEO of TGI Fridays, I think it is. Any relation to Kate Blanchett? <laughs> I certainly <laughs> hope not. Don't blame Kate Blanchett for me. <laughs> but I guess he, in recent conversations and like raised the, raise the wage campaigns that have been happening since Biden took office, he told this lobbying group that we'll touch on. If we raise the minimum wage, we're going to have a lot fewer hours for our wait staff. We're going to have to fire people. We're going to have to raise prices. All of this stuff. I tried to find his net worth online and I couldn't. It's not public information. But like, to be clear, these people are millionaires. And it's kind of like, Ray, I think I know where some of that money could come from besides yeah. firing people or raising your prices. And I think it's your millions and millions of millions of dollars in salary. Yeah. It's just so it's like so disingenuous for them to be like, oh my God, like we're gonna have to fire people. Like, how can you ethically take home like hundreds and hundreds more than the people you're paying and just be like, No, that's still too much. That's I guess we're gonna have to fire everyone. I'm like, What? Yeah, so (laughs) fucked. Especially when like prices go up without wages going up. So I mean, I'm not an economist, but there's something fishy there to me, you know? Like if you're gonna argue if we raise wages, the prices will keep going up. Like, why doesn't it happen the other way around, too? Uh-huh. uh-huh. So, like, someone please explain that to me. And I don't mean that rhetorically. Like, I need it explained to me. <laughs> I don't no, understand. Me too. Me too. And you know what? If I live in an economy and I'm paying to, like, exist within this market, it shouldn't be so convoluted to explain or to understand. Right. Because right. we have to participate in it. Especially when it's something so high stakes as, like, people won't have jobs or livelihoods. It's like, well, then you better have a good fucking reason and make it understandable. Yeah. Like, tell me why. Yeah. And, like, I hope that people get raises that are more than just inflation. But you could go year to year without getting a raise. Yeah. So you're, you're yeah. kind of getting a demotion. Functionally getting less. Because... If things yeah. keep going up, so then please make it make, make sense. Make it make sense. Oh my God, make it make sense. I really do need like, I feel like we need to find someone who can teach us like social justice via economics. Like I need someone to yeah. explain to me the economy in through this lens. I don't yes. want to take like your classic micro or macro classes. Fuck I want that. like, no, no, no. I need like social <laughs> impact economics. Yes, exactly. But okay. So back to um the 1900s, a time before TGI Fridays, <laughs> there is a... Uh, more backlash in the U.S. from a few voices that unfortunately aren't the ones who end up pulling all the levers here. But this 1916 piece written by William Scott was called The Itching Palm, where I guess some people had been starting to sympathize with the, quote, long-suffering public because they felt bad that consumers were, like, made to pay the wages of servers. Mm. But the resentment was sort of, like, toward the servers, and they were called or talked about as if having an itching palm i think that just means kind of like greedy yeah like wanting more yeah and so yeah in 1916 william scott writes this piece where he talks about tips to be democracy's mortal foe and creates a servile attitude for a fee and he's basically just like american democracy is incompatible with tipping it's a blow at our experiment in democracy it announces to the world that we do not believe practically that all men are created equal. Unless a waiter can be a gentleman, democracy is a failure. If any form of service is menial, is menial, democracy is a failure. Mm. And he calls people who want to keep tipping. They they don't belong in a democracy. They belong in an aristocracy. And I, I kind of like the way he puts that 
It's just like, you're not tipping a doctor or a professor. These professionals demand livable incomes from their employers. And every single industry should be considered as dignified because it is inherently as like all of this work is necessary to our functioning as a society and it is all inherently dignified. So why are we getting away with like toying at these power dynamics and like making other people act servile when we don't do that to other professions? That inherently means you're treating people unequally. I find it interesting that they are talking about it in relation to democracy, mm-hmm. which is a political system rather than to an economic system. But I mean, it is kind of not one in the same, but yeah. the, the values of democracy of like, like everyone having a vote, everyone having a role that is not like greater or worse than the next person. Mm-hmm. But you can't like, you can't look at democracy in a vacuum from like in the United States without looking at like the economic systems that govern how we live our life um because we we don't really have a democracy Mm -hmm. and we have a very oppressive capitalist neoliberalist Mm -hmm. economic system it's all so like webbed together but i just found it interesting that their first like point was oh these are not our democratic values of like everyone is made equal i'm like what are our democratic values because (laughs) we don't really do that anywhere (laughs) i know i know no it's such a good point it feels like it was just like closer even if marginally to the founding of the country for them to be like democracy is like the end all be all but it is true it's like intellectually dishonest to think that like in a world with billionaires we live in a true democracy really you really think so they're paying fucking everybody off people with more money have more power even in our political system and that's how it is and yeah i don't know that that's necessarily what william scott is getting at here but i do think the point is well taken of like everyone regardless of the money they're making or the role they're playing in society does need to be considered having like equal weight with respect to their opinion and their vote in this society and if we start treating people less than we're gonna take their opinions less seriously and i wonder if that's what he's getting at or if that's what like i'm intuiting because that's what i think but they made that connection more readily than i think we're willing to presently Mm. but the fact of the matter is it is intellectually dishonest to say in a world with billionaires we have a true democracy it just it that's not true yeah we don't yeah and in a world where those billionaires can contribute to political campaigns, they're not Correct. they're Correct. not reduced to, well, when it comes to voting, everyone gets one vote. I'm like, yeah, I get one vote. And Bezos gets one vote that he like can put in a ballot box. But he also mm-hmm. has all this money that he can donate to campaigns, not even local ones. He can donate to campaigns across the entire United States. So he has more votes. Mm-hmm. You're just wrong. <laughs> and it's not just it's not like it's not just individual campaigns, but it's also like lobbying groups which yeah. then fund nonprofits that are front groups for yeah. those lobbying groups. And then people see all of this amazing work that this nonprofit is doing and they think that that's really what people in the industry feel and want and little do they know bezos is fucking paid for that whole thing because he wants you to vote a certain way yeah technically yeah bezos has one vote but like he's influencing how a lot of people vote yeah and if (laughs) and and not every person over 18 can vote if they have like a, Mm -hmm. a, a certain criminal record their documentation uh mm-hmm. how far away they live from a polling place like even without money like being able to cast your vote is really difficult and tedious and annoying i know i know and i think we're like one of the only countries maybe the only country that has voting on a tuesday because it's like wait that shit's so fucked people fucking work on tuesdays dude like why and yes there is in some places early voting but like of course 
the far right machine is fucking like get rid of early voting get rid of yeah. voting get rid of all of this it leads to voter fraud it's like no you're just you're making it hard for people yeah. who have to fucking work like people in the service industry yeah who do not get paid time off yeah you make it impossible because they need that money to pay their bills so they can't take tuesday off so oh guess i can't vote yeah and if you get that whole like you have two hours off of work to go vote Sometimes it takes a way longer. Um, yeah. And like we live in a city, but like if you had to drive somewhere and there was traffic and then there's a long line and stuff like that. But also like I don't have a problem with it being on a Tuesday. I have a problem with it not being a holiday because if you just put it on a Sunday, there's still a bunch of service workers that are working on a Sunday. Right. No one should have to work that day. Right. <laughs> right. Literally. I must agree. Oh, God. Anyway. Um, so tipping. <laughs> so tipping. <laughs> It's a meaty topic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's liable to many, many detours. But one other thing that I think it was still William Scott who said was it just forces servers to learn the art of smiling under even the most adverse circumstances mm. for a frown, however justified would cost them not only their tip, but perhaps their job as well. Yeah. And it was tougher for black waiters who were commonly paid a lower wage than white waiters. Yeah. So it's like, it actually really, really, really compounds bias and discrimination because maybe you're already being paid less by your employer if you're black, but also people might tip you less just because they are more likely to associate like a bad attitude with a black person than a white person. And then they're just gonna be like, fuck you. I'm not going to tip you. Yeah. So it's like, they're making like doubly less. Yeah. That's such a good point because if you have to be like, I hate the, the customer's always right. And like service with a smile shit, because it's like, Mm -hmm. sure. Like we should all be respectful to people, but I shouldn't have to be overly respectful to someone who's disrespectful to me. Right. And like always have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And if you have to keep a smile on your face so that you get a tip, that's really fucked up. It's super fucked. And it's like the the power dynamic of like, I get to yell at the person on the phone or I get to be a dick to the waiter because they can't say shit to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know you that? can get away with it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a permission slip to treat someone like crap because you're like, yeah. I know they can't fucking do anything about it because I know they need this job. Yeah. And they're inherently beneath me because mm-hmm. they're serving me or they're doing or they're the ones be- behind the desk and all that. Right. Stuff. Which is like wild because, again, like we really don't think of like consultants who are performing a service or professors who are technically teaching you or doctor. Like we don't think of any of those as like inferior servile positions. And yeah. so. I mean, again, I know you have to go to school for some of those professions and whatever else, but like, I I, I think it's so wild that we really have the superiority complex when talking to servers. Yeah. Back to Mm -hmm. the 20th century in the U.S. In 1938, the New Deal established a federal minimum wage, but it said wages could come from either the employer or from tips. So it, in effect, does not establish a minimum wage for tipped workers. The minimum wage for tipped workers is $0. And at this point, it is already an industry that included a disproportionate number of black people compared to the population. Mm-hmm. So it's already kind of like, well, white people are more entitled to a minimum wage right now than black people are based on how the cookie crumbles. Yeah. And then in 1966, our nation's minimum wage was overhauled and worker advocates were able to win this guaranteed base minimum wage for tipped employees to be paid by employers, but that was only 50% of the overall minimum wage that non-tipped workers were getting. Mm-hmm. So that was at $2.13, I believe, <laughs> which cool. is like such a wild number. <laughs> and then 
the fucking NRA makes an appearance. Not the National Rifle Association. Yeah, the other NRA. The other NRA. The National Restaurant Association. And they basically negotiate with con or the ceo of the nra at the time was this guy named herman kane and he strikes a deal with congress in 1996 and basically says we won't oppose like we won't put like our full machine behind opposing modest infrequent increases in the overall minimum wage as long as the minimum wage for tipped workers would in turn stay frozen forever so do you know what the minimum wage is right now for tipped workers isn't it like seven something or less. No, it's two dollars and thirteen cents still. Oh wait, what the fuck? <laughs> Is that insane? Wait, seriously? Mm-hmm. Federally? Federally, the employers do not have to pay their tipped workers more than two dollars and thirteen cents an hour because they are tipped. This needs a real update. <laughs> <laughs> We've been trying. I'm telling you. <laughs> Technically, if you don't earn in tips at least $7.25 an hour or whatever the federal minimum wage is. Technically, your employer is on the hook for that. But needless to say, there's been some malpractice mm. in that regard. Yeah, there are some, there are some lawsuits. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's because this is such a breeding ground for, in so many ways, this system has made it okay to take advantage of tipped workers. Yeah. So it's hard to draw the line. So it's like, yeah, technically, you're supposed to pay them up to $7.25 an hour for every hour that they worked if they didn't get that from tips but what if they just started the clock once customers were seated and that was the rule at your restaurant rather than when they came in and started restocking and doing inventory and cleaning what if you just they weren't allowed to start the clock until a customer was seated which like in a world where technically the customer is the one paying your wages like it's not it's not that hard to get there when yeah 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 there was also I'm just thinking about like laws that seem like you're moving forward, like in the the New Deal and having a minimum wage and stuff. But how many people get left behind? Mm-hmm. Do you know about the Wagner Act? No. It was in 1935 and it was like it was basically like a pro-union act that allowed like private companies to have like collective bargaining and to be able to unionize and like expand mm. the kind of like work that could be unionized. But the only reason it, it actually got passed was because I think it was FDR. It was like a deal with like Southern white Democrats Mm -hmm. that agricultural workers, domestic workers, maybe other groups as well were not included, Mm -hmm. which were sectors that were predominantly people of color Mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't be able to unionize. I'm like, fucking hell, man. Like, seriously. (laughs) The question always needs to be, but wait, what did this mean for black women? Mm -hmm. But wait, did this prioritize black women's needs or not even close is this bringing everyone forward or or just white men (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's it's so cursed and it's so brutal and it's sad how unsurprising it is like when you do look into the history of of this industry and of this practice Mm. and now the nra the other nra national restaurant association i think has really successfully convinced people that businesses multi-million dollar businesses can't afford to pay people more than two dollars an hour and it's a it's like rhetoric that i've seen repeated a lot by like well if we take away tipping then like people will get fired hours will get cut prices will go up it won't be good for us the consumer and it's like you are already paying that as the consumer you're already paying that in the tips but Also, these restaurants can afford it. If your business model relies on exploiting the most vulnerable communities, literally making money off the backs of women and women of color, then beyond you being evil, you just have a shit business model. I was about to say that. Like, your business just doesn't work. That's all business. (laughs) Yeah. 
like you're just not fucking paying people and that yeah sounds if you like- can't afford to pay people to do their job you don't have a business and that's your mm-hmm. fault not yeah like, you just didn't structure this correctly if your argument is like well i'm gonna go out of business if i pay the people that make me money then then you should be out of business <laughs> that, yeah as you should <laughs> exactly go My back God. to the drawing board let's start again start again mm-hmm. so that's sort of i feel like a lot of the modern day pushback modern day rhetoric and one thing that i kind of hinted at earlier was that lobbying groups like the nra often fund and they try to be very secretive about it but they fund quote unquote grassroots nonprofits and i was reading this article and i saw i saw some quotes from like the restaurant workers of america oh rwa thinks this oh these workers from rwa are like really fighting to keep their tips and i was like hmm that's suspicious mm. because I don't think that many workers would actually want that. Like most most workers, I don't think would be like fuck the rage the raise the wage campaign. Like I don't want a higher minimum wage. I look into. I it. guess it would depend on like how high the minimum wage is compared to mm-hmm. how much they might make a night on tips. Like even if they're like this structure is fucked up. Yeah. But if you don't make the minimum wage like twenty two dollars, then it's not worth it for right. me or something like that. Right. That is true and. I think it must be really exciting to get like a sick tip, even if the past three tables were like racist, sexist fuckers who stiffed you or like harass you or whatever. But like when you collect the tip, I think it probably I don't know. I think there is dopamine involved there. And with the variable reinforcement schedule, whatever, I'm a novice at psych and I only took psych 101. So I hate to be that person. (laughs) But like I do think that like getting it every now and then kind of keeps you hooked and wondering like, well, when will the next table tip me super well? Are tipped workers... Do, do they not get, like, other benefits from their employer, like health insurance or things like that because they're not salaried mm-hmm. or something? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that, but no. No okay. benefits. <laughs> because that's another trade-off of, like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. Well, why would you fight against a higher minimum wage that would – if it also came with now mm-hmm. your employer has to make sure you have health insurance and, like, right. sick days and a 401k and whatever. <laughs> Don't you wish? <laughs> Like, how sick would it be if we actually, like, gave people the means to live? Because that's also inherently showing that we don't think that those jobs are real jobs. Or, or Yes. Like, Thank you. I think a lot of times we see service jobs as, like, a transitional job. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of, like, career waiters. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's their whole career. And they want to do that. Yeah. And that shouldn't be seen as, like, oh, they settled for serving food or whatever. And it's, like... No, I, 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 that's a whole job. It's a whole last job and every job deserves respect. I don't know if like boomers in Spain would say this too, as you grew up, but like a lot of the rhetoric in like elitist, pretty white communities, a lot of fucking boomers are like, you better go to college or you're going to wind up working at McDonald's. Like that is a common refrain. It's like, you don't want to wind up working at McDonald's. And it's like, so tell me how you really think about working at McDonald's then. Yeah, clearly. And it's so fucked because all of them eat at McDonald's. You, you've gotten a burger before. You yeah. you think that is a good thing on a road trip. Like, you like having a place to stop and just, like, grab a bite that you, yeah. you know what it's going to be. And yet, you're not willing to concede that the people who work there should also not be impoverished? Question mark? Yeah. You think this thing should exist, but you're not willing to concede that the people who work there should be dignified? That's so, so messed up. Yeah. Like, you should go to college. You're going to end up working at the grocery store. And it's like... And I'm going to spit on you. <laughs> and then the pandemic hits. And who's the only person that's making sure you have food? Mm-hmm. The people who don't make any money mm-hmm. have to be literally risking their lives to make sure that you can feed your family. You don't think mm-hmm. the, those people... You interact with these people. Oh, you're mm-hmm. going to be a cab driver. I'm like, do you take Uber? Do you find Uber convenient? Well, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, then it's a thing that someone has to do. God. Yeah, it's so, it's so. You're going to be a garbage man. 
you know how grateful we should be to sanitation mm-hmm. workers? You notice it in a second when people go on strike for like sanitation, the post office, stuff like that, that we demean. You can't live your life without them. Yeah, so, you cannot. You like your clean fucking neighborhood? Yeah. That's because people come and work really fucking hard and bust their asses to keep it that way. Yeah. The jobs that are so crucial to all of our quality of lives are so backwardsly treated as like the most menial, inferior positions in society. Domestic work, anyone in caregiving, sanitation, stuff like that. I I took this class where we would talk about it as like the work that makes all other work possible. Yeah. You can't go to your fancy bank job if the MTA isn't running. Right. Because there's no one there to drive the trains. If you have somebody at home who like does your laundry, whether that's like someone you pay or a partner You can't go to work without clean clothes. All that other labor that's happening is real labor. It's crucial labor and it's just as valuable. And your work cannot exist without it. So like, let's all get on the same page here. Anyway, so I start seeing quotes from Restaurant Workers of America. And while I am willing to concede that like, if not fully informed on just like quite how bad it is at scale, or if they are, let's say, a white man working at a nice restaurant, maybe they would still want their tips because- you're a white man, you're probably insulated from a lot of the harassment. And if you're working at a fancy restaurant, you're probably making a lot more in tips. And so you actually are making a livable wage. Sure, I'm willing to concede that you might want your tips, but not the way not the way the RWA website looked. I was like, okay, this doesn't look like it's all just like white men. Mm. It looks like it's trying to pretend it's like representative of the whole service industry. And that seems suspicious. Come to find out, quote, a leader of Restaurant Workers of America acknowledged that his group is primarily financed by individual restaurant owners. Some workers are also chipping in. And it has taken modest sums from the Washington, D.C. restaurant lobby. And he says he has occasionally received received strategic advice from an executive with the legendary Washington public relations firm Berman and Company, which has long directed campaigns on behalf of the restaurant, tobacco, and other big industries against consumer and labor groups. Why would Restaurant Workers of America have this PR firm that has a history of working against consumer and labor groups? Why, why would you take advice from him unless you are against consumer and labor groups? And the PR firm, by the way, the guy who founded it, Rick Berman, he was profiled in 2007 by 60 Minutes as Dr. Evil. <laughs> like, this isn't a good dude. <laughs> no, not Dr. Evil. <laughs> so it's just like, okay... Dr. Evil over here is helping you out and he has a history of hating on labor groups. You really think that RWA is just like totally, oh, it's just, it's just workers. No, this is funded by the NRA. That is so funny, Dr. Evil. I know. But it's like the NRA is doing a good job. It's like it has convinced people through efforts like that and others that like workers want their tips. I had thought that for a long time. Is that like, I think I thought workers were more attached to them than maybe they really are because of propaganda like this shit. Yeah. And they've convinced everyone that like multi-million dollar companies can't afford to pay more than $2 an hour to their workers and that workers like it that way. Like that's so backwards. That's ass backwards that we've been convinced to think that. It sounds very like union busting kind of rhetoric too of like, doesn't it? we're just going to convince everyone that they're better off. Mm-hmm. in this system that they're just empirically not better off in yeah it's it's and it's they have the money to meet with people like dr evil yeah. to figure out how can i communicate this effectively and make people actually believe this yeah mm-hmm. yeah union busting is so fucked too we need to do an episode <sighs> on that we need to do an oh episode my god on care yeah. work Ugh. so oh my god so many issues so little time i know so that's um that's our history and now i want to turn to 
the demographics of the industry, which we've already kind of hinted at, and then the current day impacts of the existing legislation and like culture around being a tipped worker. And we'll end on that list of why restaurant owners should not want this tipped system to continue. So with respect to demographics of the service industry, specifically like food service industry, the food service industry is one of the biggest employers for people who are restarting in society after like spending time in jail or prison. Mm. It's one of the biggest employers for undocumented immigrants and immigrants mm-hmm. in general. And it's also two thirds of like tipped workers in the US are women. So these are already people who are vulnerable and like often don't have really robust safety nets. Yeah. Which like on top of what we've been talking about, having a federal permission slip to not pay your workers being a breeding ground for abuse. It's like when on top of that, your workers are also vulnerable communities who don't have things to fall back on if they do lose this job. Yeah. I think that compounds how how much abuse can happen. Yeah. And so... I just want to talk about the impacts of all of this basically on the workers themselves. So the first one is just like, what are the impacts of having low wages and poor hours and unstable income? And well, let me send you an image and you tell me what you see. Oh, goodness. Okay. So it's a a check. This is what a paycheck for $2.13 an hour tipped worker looks like. This is not a check. Zero dollars. Wait, what? It says zero dollars and says this is not a check because... When you are a tipped worker who is making the federally approved wage of between $2.13 an hour up to $5 an hour, your wage is so small that all of it goes to taxes. So your pay stub always says $0. This is not a paycheck. Oh, well, that's (laughs) cute. Okay. Yeah. So when people say, I rely on tips, it's oftentimes very literal. Their wage is $0 from their employer because all of it has gone to taxes. Do they get any of that back when they file their taxes? Like, that's crazy town. I honestly know so little about taxes. I can't answer that. But I hope they get the money back. But like, that's that's wild. No, it's wild. And again, as we kind of talked about, like restaurants are technically supposed to make up the difference when tips don't amount to the federal minimum wage, but they can kind of manipulate the system, make their servers check in when the customer arrives. And yeah, as as a result, like the vast majority of tipped workers live completely off their tips, which obviously creates a ton of instability because like, I mean, your bills are going to stay the same. Your rent is going to stay the same. Your, I don't know, cable bill is going to stay the same, but yeah, your income is going to change. That makes it really hard to plan and hard to save. Yeah. And so poverty rates are three times as high in the food service industry as in any other industry and food servers are twice as likely as other Americans to be on food stamps. Isn't that ironic? Yeah, the people who prepare, cook, and serve our food are twice as likely to be on food stamps. And you can't use food stamps for hot food. I know. So it's like the people who are offering you like cooked meals are literally not eligible to get their own cooked meals. Yeah, you can't even get like a fucking rotisserie chicken because it's technically prepared. Yeah, yeah. How dare you, okay? But this also means, besides obviously like, okay, this means that people are so poorly paid they're impoverished and on food stamps it also means and this was an interesting point that i hadn't thought of before that the public subsidizes full service restaurants in two ways because we're paying their wages through tips but we're also paying our taxes which is what provides that public assistance and this one organization restaurant opportunity center 
Their research shows that the average Olive Garden costs the taxpayer nearly $200,000 annually in public assistance for its workers. Meaning that, like, the customer is paying in the moment a tip, and then also part of their taxes is going to taking care of the public assistance that those workers would need instead of, like, an employer paying the salary and also paying for subsidized health insurance. Right, exactly. Like, theoretically, that employer should be paying their workers enough so that no one is on food stamps. And then... Because also, if these tax... If if these uh, paychecks are $0, that worker's money is getting taxed Mm -hmm. to go fund Mm -hmm. these shitty public assistance. Mm -hmm. So they're they're just paying for it out of their own empty pocket. (laughs) Right, right. And, like, I am here for my taxes going to public assistance primarily. Like, that's what I want it to go to. Socialized health care, public assistance, better food stamps... Yes, please. I'm down for me as the consuming public. I I want that to be where my taxes go. Yeah. But I also, first and foremost, want people to not even need food stamps in the first place. Like, if that's an option. And it does feel like that $200,000. So, like, this Olive Garden is basically necessitating that $200,000 of taxes go to paying its own workers to be able to eat. I'd rather that $200,000 go to other social safety nets or socialized health care or like food stamps for other people and like mm. Olive Garden take $200,000 out of your fucking CEO salary and just fucking pay your workers enough to eat. Yeah. Like why is yeah. it the public that is literally funding your workers ability to live in tips and taxes? Yeah. And your C-suite is making it like fucking bandits. Like it's insane. Oh my God. And that's just like a way in which I hadn't thought about it. Again, I'm not complaining because I want my taxes to go to public social safety nets. Yeah. But it is true that, like, we're the ones literally paying or, like, any any consuming person going to any restaurant is, like, literally doubly funding the livelihood yeah. of workers because restaurants refuse to do it to such an extreme, egregious extent. Yeah. Even even we should have a socialized healthcare system so that everyone has access to health care. We have public schools. Everyone has access to a public school. Like, Public schools are not a safety net for, like, if you can't afford a private school, you can go to this safety net public school. It's like, we should just take care of people all the time, not just, like, in the most dire of circumstances and then give them scraps. Like, the entire quality of life needs to go up for everyone. The floor needs to lift. Yeah. It should be exactly like, oh, now that someone's falling, we catch them in this net. It's like, let's just not push anyone off the edge. Let's make sure people just don't fall because our society takes care of people all the time. Yeah. I saw this tweet recently that was like, if public libraries weren't around for as many centuries as they have been, like, there's no way we'd be able to get that approved today. <laughs> I know. It's it's actually really wild how many, like, things that are privatized now started as public services mm-hmm. that slowly, especially in the rise of, like, neoliberalism, became mm-hmm. privatized. We used to do this more. We used to have, like, more public mm-hmm. stuff. And the public systems weaken when we privatize them. Yeah. And then it just makes it easier for like to point at a public school and be like, see, public schools suck. And it's like, well, yeah, because you're you're weakening them by providing a private option and like poaching resources. And like in comparison to that, it's always going to look shitty. Mm -hmm. So the more people are going to be like, well, you're right. Public schools suck. The government doesn't know how to do anything. We can't trust them to do anything new. We can't trust them to do Medicare for all because it's going to be just as shitty as our public schools or whatever. And it's like, well, maybe if we get rid of all these private things, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be so shit. Oh, I need I need you to go just like regurgitate that word for word to my dad because 
this is just like an area in which I can't make any progress with him. He is one of those like hardcore, like rain is the best thing that ever happened kind of people. Whereas like, I think Reagan is my villain origin story. Yeah. <laughs> like, he literally is like a, a huge pivot and how we, and how we think about like how to structure society and like how, how to, to regulate corporations, whether things should be privatized. Yeah. Like he is like the ultimate fucking worshiper of capitalism. I feel like, and I am pretty sure that he is responsible for like news networks privatizing. Yeah. And what's, what's scary is that like, I don't give Reagan a lot of the credit for all of that fucked up shit because rather than seeing Reagan as like a worshiper of capitalism, it's like corporations lifting up and making Reagan like the figurehead for these things. So like, yeah, you can yeah. remove their he's, puppet. Yeah. Like yeah. he's like, it's a very short amount of time that you can be president and like, mm-hmm. It's just putting a figurehead that you can convince and puppeteer whatever to do things for you that'll last beyond a presidency. He said he was like, because he had been an actor for a long time. And he had actually been like the president of the like SAG union or something. Like he had been a president of the actors guild. And I always find that interesting. I'm like, didn't you start liking unions? But whatever. Yeah. (laughs) When it benefited (laughs) you because you were an actor. Right. But he used to say that. He's like, I don't know how anyone could be president without being an actor, which I think goes into obviously what we're talking about with him being a puppet. But it's like it's memorizing lines. It's getting up and putting on a performance and pretending you care about shit that you don't know anything about. Yeah, exactly. But besides the federal minimum wage for tipped workers being so low that like it impacts tipped workers in a very direct sense, such as being impoverished and being on food stamps, it also affects them in a more indirect sense because it perversely incentivizes restaurants to make more of their workers tipped workers rather than untipped workers, mm. if that makes sense. So maybe your bussers or your like the dishwashers in your kitchen or the prep cooks or whoever else, maybe they're not tipped because they're not the ones like face to face with the customer, but you're incentivized to find a way to make it so that they are because then you don't have to pay them the full $7 an hour. You only have to pay them $2 an hour. Mm-hmm. So one thing that restaurants do is they start tip sharing programs. So in 2011, for example, Olive Garden implemented a mandatory tip sharing program, which enabled them to cut bussers and bartenders hourly wages to $2.13. What's the tip sharing program? Is it like everything goes in the same bucket and then gets split up by everybody? So yeah, all of the servers who collect tips then have to pool them together and it's split, I presume, evenly across everyone working during that shift, maybe weighted to how many hours you worked, but it's split evenly. So even if you are a tipped worker... And you're like, sick, like I just made it like an amazing tip. Like they really liked me for my service. Now I'll actually make a little bit more than minimum wage today. Well, actually, no, that effect will be cushioned a lot by the fact that it's going to be split evenly across everybody because Olive Garden doesn't feel like paying its bussers $7.25. So they just want to redistribute all of the tips the servers are earning to everybody else. So everyone kind of starts getting fucked. And like, maybe you thought, well, with tips, I'll be making a little more than minimum wage. No. No, and neither will the bussers. Yeah, and it's fucked because until we, like, get rid of the tipping system or whatever, how do you work within it? And, like, I do think that there's some benefit to um, splitting tips because of what we were talking about earlier of, like, the kind of prejudice that people will have towards different workers. And so if maybe you get tipped more because, like, you're a cute blonde white girl versus a peer of yours who's a person of color – and, like, the reason that you're being tipped might not be inherently because you're, like, better at your job. Mm-hmm. But that's only, like, just improving slightly how things are distributed in a system that's already messed up. Right. But if you also then include people 
who are getting the benefit of having a, a salary and we take the salary away and then we split amongst more people, then it's like, don't use redistributing against yes, us, okay? Yes, like, redistributing for the wrong reasons. I know. And it's like, I think you're so right that for as long as we do have tipping, redistribution could mitigate the effects of bias if there were, for non-tipped workers, or sorry, yeah. for tipped workers, a higher federal minimum wage. But right now it's just $2. Yeah. It sounds good on the surface, but when you literally peel back one layer, you're like, oh no, I okay. I, I, now I see what you're doing because yeah. you just want to keep handing out your zero dollar paychecks. Yeah. It's like so insane. Yeah. Because I think it would even out well if it's like if you're just splitting between the people who like if there's four people who are getting tips and then you split it between them, they should have a decent chunk of change. If you split four people's work between 20 people, mm-hmm. then it doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, it's super messed up. And then the other thing that happens when you have different federally mandated minimum wages for tipped versus non-tipped workers is that you're going to try to push as much work onto tipped workers as possible even when that involves like skirting the limits of applicable legal definition so it's like maybe you in a world where all the minimum wages for all your workers would be the same you would have like a busser and a bartender and a server and a dishwasher now you're just going to make your server do all of it Mm. maybe a small fraction of their time is spent serving, but because they technically serve and they're technically tipped, you still only have to pay them $2 an hour. So I think it it's a system that creates like a lot of loopholes for these restaurants. <sighs> the next thing I wanted to talk about, which I think we did kind of get at, is the harassment and like sexual harassment that can happen when the customer is always right. Mm-hmm. And when you have to smile to save your, not just tip, but possibly your job. Mm-hmm. So let's just out of the gate the customer is not always right like (laughs) sometimes they are rude and disrespectful and not okay and like should be denied service and like are abusive verbally or otherwise and especially people because service industry and the food service industry there are obviously career service workers but there are also people who like me go into ice cream catering when they're in their teens or early 20s and it's what they do when they first get out of high school while they're deciding what they want to do longer term Yeah. When you're so young and you're able to work in an industry so young and like the prevailing attitude is like, you're wrong. The customer is right. You have to put up with disgusting behavior. I mean, I don't know. Not that I saw any studies that were like talking about the long-term psychological effects of that, but I just... Can't be good. No. No. It's gross. (laughs) Like, oh, the idea that you have to tolerate abuse and like that's part of your job description. That feels gross. Yeah. And um, as we talked about, a vast majority of tipped workers are women. So sexual assault is super prevalent and like sexual harassment is super prevalent no prevalent (laughs) in the industry and people talk about like if i'm not wearing makeup i don't make tips i've been told by my supervisor to go home and dress more sexy and show more cleavage so i'm not just being harassed by my customers but also by my coworkers and managers Mm. and they are the restaurant industry single largest source of sexual harassment harassment complaints to the eec wow but yeah so it's it's one of those things where like a lot of a lot of women who work in the industry will talk about like not even having a vocabulary for sexual assault or sexual harassment because it literally was part of their job description they're like i didn't even realize that that's what that was because that's what i i've been told i need to do to make money like that is my job like i didn't even it's like very very hard to tease out and i think i live in a bubble where I have a lot of that vocabulary readily available and I went to an institution that like had trainings and I, I've worked at jobs that have trainings and I feel like I'm in this insulated northeast privileged bubble. But I do think like if I were someone just starting out in the industry and like 
wasn't having like these resources thrust upon me constantly, I feel like it would be really easy to like not even not even recognize that that's what's happening. You just think like this is normal. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to recognize even when you've had all the steps that you just said. Mm -hmm. It's still hard to recognize, hard to report, hard to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And that's in like extremely privileged circumstances. Mm hmm. Imagine being at a restaurant yeah, where your boss is just going to be like, shut the fuck up. I know. And where the person who is harassing you is like literally has your paycheck in their hand. Right, right. Literally. And I guess Olive Garden has instituted this like mandatory policy that requires employees to report internally first rather than like take their claims to court. They can do that? I th- I was wondering the same. That, that sounds illegal. How can you say that? I don't know. Here, I'm going to read you a quote. I've I mean, never been to an Olive Garden, and you know what? I don't think I will. I don't think I will. <laughs> I will get my breadsticks elsewhere. Um, I Okay, so it requires all employees to sign an agreement that they will utilize a mandatory internal dispute resolution procedure rather than take their claims to court. This has made it more difficult for victims of harassment to bring their claims forward in court and to track these occurrences and their frequency. I truly don't understand how that's legal. I, I don't either. How can you how can you make somebody sign something like that? I don't know. And like one person who works at Olive Garden is like, yeah, and people are often stifled by store management through threats of being fired if you don't substantiate your claim, which is That's really, also illegal. <laughs> it's really hard to substantiate that kind of claim. Yeah. I don't have like a fucking tape recorder on me every time someone like walks by and like says yeah. something something egregious or like every time they like grab my ass like i'm not filming constantly like yeah nor should you have to yeah and also there are places to. where you would get in trouble for recording someone without their permission right it's just like it's so it's so ass backwards and it's like it's again as we talked about with the tip sharing program it's a thing that i think can be spun to sound like it's a good idea like we have this internal like reporting mechanism so that to make sure everyone's taken care of. No, what they're actually doing is they're just making sure that you can't sue them. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it is not at all in the worker's best interest, but it's so easy to spin it like it is. And now they can give the person that you're alleging harassed you a heads up if it is a coworker. Yeah. And they can say they're doing something internally to deal with it. And in reality, they're just like being like, hey, dude, like this girl is saying this shit. Like, get your story straight. Yeah. Ugh. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> So we've talked about like, you know, the impacts of low wages and then also the impact of kind of sexual assault and harassment. But I also want to talk about public health stuff Mm. and the pandemic. So you asked earlier if tipped workers have access to like benefits in any real sense. Mm -hmm. The answer is no. I guess Darden, this company that's the parent company of Olive Garden, (laughs) aka our enemy, (laughs) has admitted that it pays at least 20% of its U.S. workforce no more than the federal tipped minimum of $2.13 an hour, and none of these workers could count on retirement funds, even if they worked at the company for a lifetime, let alone severance if they were to be let go for any alleged misconduct, which could be maybe slandering your coworker, a.k.a. saying, hey, this dude fucking harassed me, and then you could be let go and you have no severance. (sighs) Yes, I know. But the other thing I want to talk about beyond that small, like, slice of benefits, not small, pretty crucial, but was sick leave because this is our public health (laughs) the pandemic section and there is no paid sick leave and the reason i think that is so like especially for a food service industry it's so backwards because you want people sneezing all over people's food you're gonna get (laughs) your restaurant shut the fuck down (laughs) yes no the cdc estimates that infected like restaurant workers account for like 70 plus percent of the norovirus outbreak norovirus being the stomach flu because they're not allowed to fucking stay home. 
if you're not providing earned sick leave to your employees and they don't want to get fired and they know if they do get fired, they won't get severance and they have a bill to pay. And last week they didn't get enough tips. They're coming in with the stomach flu. Yeah. I mean, literally in any job, I'm like, no one benefits from having a sick person in the office mm-hmm. or in the restaurant or anywhere. No one. Like, no, no one. They're not even going to be able to do their work that well because you're sick. And you're possibly going to have everybody else get sick. Right. Like, seriously. And we talk about this with feminism. It's like, if you can't bring yourself to care for the sake of this sick person, and you should because they're sick and they're a fucking person. Yeah. Care selfishly. Care that it's you bad don't for business. get sick. It's bad for business. Like, it is good for fucking everybody for restaurant workers to have paid sick leave. But of course they don't. And I guess there was this, like, egregious. <laughs> this is. I'm sorry I'm laughing, but it's, like, so upsetting. <laughs> In 2011, there was a hepatitis A outbreak at an Olive Garden. Fucking Olive Garden, man. Fucking Olive Clean Garden. Clean up your act. <laughs> I know. And so they like settled the case with like some hundreds of thousands of dollar payout to compensate consumers. But like, God, it's so it's so messed up. Wow. I keep saying messed up. Like, I feel like I need a new refrain. But like, it is fucked and cursed and rotted and fucked up. But it's and, just yeah. it is what it is. Santi was recently talking to um, a friend of his who works at the London office of his of both of your previous jobs about sick days. And Santi was like, oh, yeah, we have five paid sick days. And the guy was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, what happens if you get sick a sixth time? And Santi literally just froze and was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, like he was like, my my wiring and capitalism didn't didn't account for it. What do you mean? <laughs> like, I haven't thought past that. <laughs> you don't have to strategize exactly how sick you are and if you have enough left to take a sick day like you don't do that over in london but i love that then like people here will be like well yeah but they make less and it's like okay sure but we <laughs> like we spend all our money on all this stuff that they get so like, they don't have to pay to have a baby yeah, yeah i like, think their take home is probably larger <laughs> but another so another impact of not having sick days beyond when you're sick having to go to work is also that if your kid is sick you can't stay home to take care of them. So your kid is home. You're trying to call the school and let them know. You're also trying to, while holding your kid's hair back as they puke, trying to call anyone who can get your shift covered. Mm. And you're looking at lost wages because you can't take the day off. The other impact of like public health stuff in this realm is obviously the pandemic we just had. And one of the things that I guess coincided was sexual harassment and masks so a lot of thing that a lot of things that like women in the industry were reporting is that they were being told take your mask off so i know how much i should tip you what and another thing that was also happening during the pandemic was that as we talked about too with like bias and implicit biases really affecting your perception of workers and the job they're doing and how nice they are and how accommodating they are and whatever else black workers also reported a larger loss in tips during the pandemic who are still in the service industry because they were more likely to be seen than their white counterparts as like annoying public health marshals. Mm. So if they were like trying to just be like, you do need to wear a mask in here or like you do need to show a vax card or you do like you can't sit at that table because we have to be six feet apart. Yeah. They were more likely to suffer the consequences of that than white counterparts. So again, women and particularly women of color are going to be fucked by any new variable that you throw into the mix. People really just don't know how to act. Having to tell someone, like, you have to put on a mask and then being like, why? It's like, let me just call up Biden real quick. I'll be right back. Like, like, what are you talking about? And I understand, okay, if you have a frustration at a business, I understand that, like, customer service, you're, like, the first point of contact. But be respectful because they are not the ones creating the grievance that you have. Right. 
and they have no power to change it especially right in that moment like right exactly and i do feel like there is so much rhetoric about just like oh like tips being good and yeah it's totally fine it's like no people need people need guaranteed wages people need guaranteed benefits people need to be just better insulated from this insane bias coming from the customers who are yeah oftentimes karens and uh, not so nice <laughs> what's the male karen i don't know i feel like people say kyle on the internet that just that that sounds like a chad to me a like chad i, I need I a male was... version of the karen because i don't like that there's only or at least that i only hear women being annoying. i know it's like men men are annoying too i definitely do think that like karen originated in communities of color as a way to just be like white women weaponize their privilege without understanding yeah. how proximal they are to privilege and how proximal yeah. they are to power and then white men and just generally like people ran away with it and like just were able to shovel all their misogyny onto this term and like yeah that's been super unfortunate although i do think it originally was getting at something like super legit yeah i do think no it is legit but like yeah where's we need i know more options (laughs) oh we never we never have we never have like male based insults like you're always a bitch or a pussy or in a democracy we should be able to demean everyone equally everyone (laughs) (laughs) but i i think chat is something else chat is um i think what frat boy the incels use to describe like a 10 out of 10 for males so like we can't use that word for our karen equivalent so i think we say kyle okay (laughs) (laughs) but the unfortunate thing about the pandemic has been because the restaurant industry was hurting the NRA was able to capitalize on that with respect to legislation. So with the Raise the Wage campaign, they're able to push back hard and be like, far too many restaurants will, if that happens, just lay off even more workers or close their doors for good. And as the pandemic has highlighted, like the economic realities of each state are different. Like we shouldn't have a federal wage anyway. Da, 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 da. Mm. And this is about to be the most cursed sentence I've ever said. <laughs> The Employment Policies Institute, a fiscally conservative think tank, released a study that estimates that raising the federal minimum wage to 15 an hour would result in 2 million jobs lost. I just, a fiscally conservative think tank? Like, hmm, I wonder if there's any bias that might lead you to believe that raising the minimum wage is bad. I wonder if that's going to affect your research at all. I also hate the term fiscally conservative. Like, if you're fiscally conservative, you're everything conservative. Yeah, you you don't vote for half a person. You yeah. don't vote for one out of ten policies in their platform. Conservative, but what is it? Socially liberal. Socially liberal. I'm like, you can't be both. Right. I don't believe you. Right. <laughs> like if you're voting for someone because of their tax policy, but they're also like, build a wall. Like you're still voting for someone who wants to build a wall, dude. Well, and and not even that. Like in the same vein as if you want lower taxes, that means that there's going to be lower public services so Mm -hmm. in the same vote that you're like oh i'm just voting because of taxes that is a socially conservative thing too right right that's so true because like this is suggesting if you're fiscally conservative and you're clearly pushing propaganda and running studies that are obviously biased and suggesting raising minimum wage of 15 dollars an hour is a bad idea well the people who are affected by that black women first and foremost otherwise like people who were formerly incarcerated women at large like yeah this is a social issue it is yeah it's also like saying that raising the minimum wage to $15 is going to make 2 million jobs disappear. That very well could be true because if the wage goes up, the people that have the power to hire and fire mm-hmm. don't want to reduce their profits. So they'll fire a bunch of people. So the issue is like, sure, you might be right, 
But that doesn't mean that the problem is the wage. The problem is the fact that we're going to lose those jobs because you don't want to pay people. So it's the stingy CEOs like Ray Blanchett who are going to yeah. make those jobs be lost. They're they're deciding. The think tank that's like the wage will make this happen. It's like, no, the boss will make that happen. Yeah. Like, let's be clear. So it has to be some sort of like two pronged approach. Yes. For the person at the top, their wage is not impacted. Their profit margin is not impacted. So like. We need to take no, care of both No, that's such a ends. good point. Yeah, that's such a good point because we need to, when reading this critically, be like, okay, and that informs our raise the wage campaign yeah. to not just be about raising the federal minimum wage, but also like ensure job security in other ways as well. Yeah. Because we know that fucking Ray Blanchett and the other CEOs are going to be stingy f yeah we need to think about the like unintended negative consequences of like just because we get a progressive win which also 15 dollars is like not enough money but yeah just because we get a progressive win doesn't mean that like the country is now progressive like we will get right. pushed back in other ways right and then it makes the progressive policy look bad because then right. when you have these this stat of like see we raised the wage and all these people lost their jobs Ugh. and people are going to connect the dots because they're just using language that is not actually informative like right, they're making right. a connection without the, in yes. the middle part which is we decide to fire everyone because we don't want to pay people that's right. what happened and I, and I wanted to keep my full million dollar salary so fuck the rest of them yeah yeah like and there was a time in, in the 20s of underconsumption where like there were so many people working and producing a lot but nobody could afford to buy all the things that were being produced because the wages were so low mm -hmm. and so you do need to like take care of both ends like we need to be right if you want to have like a robust capitalist country that's producing shit all the time like the people who are producing need to also be able to consume or if not the economy tanks right. anyway right but i think your point is well taken that there are levers to pull. Yeah. We're not just condemned to, if we raise the wage, two million jobs are lost. We have to align politically on, like, what are our values? Because for me, it's raising the floor and making sure that, like, people aren't fucking destitute at the hand of their so-called employer. Also, and where did they get the number two million? Like, I want to understand the method of research for this. And, like, also, what are those two million jobs? Where are they coming from? Like, what companies do you think are going to lose these jobs? Do you think it's small like, business or do you think it's TGI Fridays? Exactly. And so, yeah. like, let's evaluate. Yeah, it's... God, it's a lot. But in sum, tipped workers are more likely to be impoverished on food stamps than the general population. They are not offered sick leave or severance, which leads to adverse effects for everybody. Mm -hmm. They are subject to constant harassment and sexual harassment and are often taken advantage of by their employers with respect to the wages they are owed, their job descriptions, and the hours they work. So mm -hmm. why should restaurants selfishly want to change that mm -hmm. beyond just being decent human beings? The first is that you would have less turnover. So I'm about to cite a Cornell study that was done in partnership with ROC, Restaurant Opportunity Center, which is the organization and like run by the person that I've been citing all episode. But... A 2014 study conducted by Cornell showed basically that employer can cut costly turnover in almost half by providing higher wages and better working conditions. Yeah, turnover is expensive. Hiring is expensive. Training is expensive. Yeah, and this industry suffers from one of the highest employee turnover rates of any sector, intuitively, because it's I such wonder shit. why. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you could, you could, there is like a really easy place to save money mm. and Another place that um, you might see benefits from raising your wages. So the seven 
the seven states that have required restaurant employers to pay their workers the full minimum wage, regardless of whether they earn tips or not, they apparently fare better than the other 43 states on almost every measure the restaurant industry cares about, such as sales per capita, job growth, (coughs) job growth. (laughs) Just one more time, job growth. (laughs) Did you get that? Job growth. (laughs) Not job loss, job growth. Um, And even rates of tipping in these states. People are tipped more in these states where they are already guaranteed the federal minimum wage for non-tipped workers. They're not going to lose their tips. That's another thing that the NRA crucially constantly tries to fearmonger people about is like, well, don't you want to keep your tips? Not, nothing about the Raise the Wage campaign is saying get rid of tips yet. Yeah. Obviously, there is that power imbalance. There is this like, I think it, it is a breeding ground for harassment. And I don't think the customer is always right. Yada, yada, yada. But the first step is just getting us like onto the same federal minimum wage. And like, then we can figure out the tipping culture later. Yeah. The NRA acts like what we're saying right now is like, we just want to cut your tips full stop. Like that's, yeah. that's how they act. And they, they do effectively fearmonger people into thinking, well, I don't want that. Yeah. So then they're not going to vote for candidates who want to raise the wage or the yeah. people that they're lobbying in Congress won't approve that bill or whatever the case may be because they're like oh fuck like i think workers do want their tips so uh, this is bad Mm -hmm. well that's not what we're saying and people in the seven states where they are guaranteed the federal minimum wage are tipped more than the other 43 states yeah because also like the the culture around tipping i would imagine at least on the end of the servers would be improved because if they all if they have if they know that they have a a paycheck regardless of the tip mm-hmm. and they don't need to rely on it in the same way, then there's less stress around what you need to endure from a customer, making sure that you like really have your happy face on all day, which is emotionally exhausting, but you can just be like a normal person without having to go above and beyond because if not, you're right. not going to like pay your bills. But do you know why right. that um, they're getting tipped more? Mm. So the States are California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Montana, Alaska, and Minnesota. I don't know if, like, what their tipping rates were before. Like, maybe they were always just, like, tipping at a higher rate than the rest of the country. So it's like this isn't necessarily a causal relationship. I really don't know. But I do think that even if tips were to stay the same, what you just said remains true. Like, Mm -hmm. you can know you will have enough money to pay rent whether or not you get a tip from this table because Mm -hmm. you're guaranteed a minimum wage. And that inherently takes off the pressure to tolerate abuse so even even that one piece i think is like reason alone enough to support that minimum wage but also for from the restaurant owner's perspective there is still more sales per capita and job growth in the restaurant industry and i'm assuming part of that is just coming from like when you have happier workers i really do think your business is going to do better like your customers are going to have a better experience people are going to enjoy going there more people are going to enjoy working there more and like I know that's so subjective, but I think that has to at least in small part account for them having better sales per capita. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the different like schools of thought of like, I agree with you. I think that when people are taken care of and happier, they're going to perform their job better or they're going to like your business is going to flourish or people are going to be more invested in like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to have like some new idea or whatever because i don't resent this place Mm -hmm. and i'm not thinking of it as like i'm not giving you one inch more of my bandwidth than i need to because Mm -hmm. you're fucked and then there are other people that think like if you don't have this looming threat of unemployment on your head all the time and you're not scared Mm -hmm. shitless and have like no (laughs) other like resources then you'll stay forever and like 
you'll be too scared to leave or whatever, which doesn't seem to be true because there's such high turnover. So it's like, yeah. And it's, I mean, we've, we've even talked about this. I think a good analog is the criminal justice system. Like people think like, oh, well, if you know there's capital punishment for like murder, then you won't murder. That's not true. And it doesn't work. <laughs> Literally not a single criminologist has ever been like, yes, severe punishment deters crime. Prison, yeah. no one, no, said no one ever. Like that is it never literally been true. That's such a good comparison. Yeah, it's it's really just like, I mean, it's a consistency of punishment, even if it's like the tiniest of slaps on the wrist, that's like more likely to do crime. But even beyond that, it's community resourcing. Yeah. The communities with the most resources have the lowest crime. Surprise, surprise. So yeah, I, I mean, my dad is one of the people who thinks the latter, like the looming threat will make you work harder. And he, I mean, he's a hardcore capitalist. Like competition is like, yeah, he says like necessity is a mother invention. Like we need competition to like make the best and like innovate the best and all of this stuff. Yeah. But this isn't true blue competition because you can't give your job your best effort. You can't innovate. You can't be your best self when you're working and you're sick. Yeah. Like you, you, you necessarily can't like, you're going to be a worse employee. I think also having options of like having people have like skin in the game and like be part of having some ownership over the means of production. Like Mm -hmm. my husband recently moved to a new job and it's a startup and he has his salary and then he has equity in the in the company mm. if the company does well he does well so it's mm-hmm. like there's a mutual benefit it's not just all of these workers are going to make the ceo super rich like obviously that's true but there's also everybody gets more wealth if the mm-hmm. company itself does well and so when you like find ways like that to make sure that people also have ownership over their the product that right. they're delivering rather than just being like producing for someone else right instead like you're giving pieces of your company to someone and you yeah. will you as the ceo will probably do better because your company will probably do better because all those people want their piece yeah and it makes sense there's um a structure like that in place at my current company not for equity because it's a bit i mean it's much more massive than a startup yeah but every year there's a bonus structure so this is like my first time getting bonuses. I left my first job after college before I was ever eligible. But the system is like, you can get up to X percent depending on how well you perform. So let's say like you can get a 5% bonus if you do really well. Maybe you'd get a 4% if you did great, but like not the best, 3% mediocre, etc. But then you also get like up to, let's say a 5% bonus depending on how the company does. So if Mm. it beats goal by 1%, you get an additional percent on your bonus. If it beats goal by 5%, you get that additional 5%. And then there's Mm. a ceiling, but it's like you're incentivized to perform well individually. Yeah. And like also as a company. And it's, yeah, I think you're right that like having skin in the game and like feeling invested is important and doesn't have to necessarily come from like the looming threat of literally not making rent. Yeah. Like there are other ways (laughs) to be invested. I feel like that system makes sense to me too because I feel like bonus structures sometimes to me feel a little iffy and like competition against your peers rather than incentivizing like teamwork. But if you know that like Mm -hmm. if you work well and you're recognized for working well or whatever, you will get a bonus. But also like if you help other people work well, the company will do better. Yeah. And you'll also get more. So like you selfishly can get more by like being more community driven in a way yes and it's it these are things that happen like you can incentivize people to care about what other people are doing even if it's coming from a selfish place but at the end of the day like the impact right is important and then everybody benefits i like that right and like we just talked about two like completely different structures to achieve a similar goal like there are ways to do things it just feels so 
besides evil, it feels like just fundamentally not curious and not creative to be like, oh, if we raise a wage, we lose jobs. Like, all right, fuck you. Like, you're not trying hard enough then. Like, I, there are ways to do things. There are ways to, I I don't know, like policies and ideas that we can keep thinking of and coming up with. Yeah. Also, if, if capitalism is about like competition breeds innovation or whatever, like, why don't we compete about where's the best place to work? Yeah. Who has the best benefits? <laughs> Why don't we compete about that? Like, not who has the cheapest stale breadstick. Yeah, like, com- compete for the best workers by having the best offerings. Mm-hmm. And I know that that happens, like, at the highest places that people will, will compete for, like, really good employees. But mm-hmm. I think that in a customer service driven industry, the difference that I feel when I go to a restaurant and I had such a good service experience. I know that that's kind of putting a lot of onus on on the server and stuff. But if you make you working at Olive Garden much better than working at Applebee's because mm-hmm. you're giving them all this like great stuff, then you're going to have the nicest yeah. servers around. Right. And if you staff the floor, the floor appropriately, then the server will be able to get back to Ellie and her husband sooner to take their drink yeah. order. And then they'll feel less stressed. They'll act less stressed. They'll, yeah. Even if they're not the nicest person in the room, they'll act nicer than they would if they were over, if they had more tables than they were supposed to. Yeah. Like, Cause you don't even need to be like, Oh, what if I just am socially awkward? And like, I don't know how to use that or whatever, but like good service doesn't need to mean just like a happy face, but like an effective experience. Right. right exactly. Know? Like, Oh, I wasn't ignored for an hour because someone at the front bullied the hostess into seating a 12 party table on the patio that they technically really don't have yeah. room for. And now we're all fucked and I'm not going to come back. But the reason the hostess has to do that is because she's part of the tip sharing program and she has yeah. to put up with the fucking abuse. Yeah. It really, it really all goes hand in hand. Yeah. Another reason that I think restaurants should be invested in just like getting on the pay people, well, train is because then they won't have to spend millions of dollars to fund NRA, like the National Restaurant Association Lobbying Group, or its associated front groups, aka grassroots nonprofits like Restaurant Workers of America. So since 2008, for example, Darden, the parent company of Olive Garden, I, I know I'm spending a lot of time on Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Seems worthwhile. But- They've spent an average of over $1 million a year to defeat legislation promoting higher wages and better working conditions. I wonder where else that money might be better served going. That is so stupid. And then <laughs> this, this book, I think, came out in like 2018 or 2017. But this is another quote from the book forked by the person who founded Restaurant Opportunity Center. Darden, the same parent company of Olive Garden, has paid over $14 million since 2005 to settle lawsuits from servers around wage and hour violations. You think you're saving money, but you're spending it on turnover. You're spending it on paying lobbying groups. You're spending it on settlements. Like you you are spending it in taxes for public assistance programs. Like you are some way, somehow hemorrhaging money. You might as well just give it to your fucking workers. Save the money on turnover. Save the money on these lobbying groups. Save the money on the settlements. And then you'll literally get more sales per capita more job growth your employees might see more tips like it is literally a win-win-win yeah i think there's this weird fear of like if we give people more money or more power like what are they gonna do with that like let's spend all of our money and energy on keeping them low Mm -hmm. because we don't know what it looks like to have everybody be happy and well paid and like what if everybody turns on us and like whatever like Mm -hmm. like with unions to have like union busting it's like well, why do you think they really don't want you to have unions? Like, they don't want to have to take care of you or let you have any bargaining power. Mm -hmm. 
And this is a two-way street. Like, you don't have a business without your employees. They don't have a job without you. We all have the same goal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everybody wants to be able to, like, pay for the shit they need and want. Mm -hmm. Why can't we work together? Why do we need to spend all this energy and, like, making sure everyone feels like they're scum of the earth and, like, they're never going to get a job anywhere else, so they need to endure this? I know. It's It's such a weird pocket of the industry, the lobbying groups and the grassroots fucking nonprofit front groups. It's such a weird pocket of the industry because it is just like, I do understand from like fundamental human psychology perspective, the scariness of change and the resistance that resistance that over and over and over again, we display toward it across geographies and time. Yeah. And so in that sense, it, it makes sense that people are invested in maintaining the status quo, especially when you're fucking rich. Yeah. But it feels like when you take that one step back and you look at it and you're like, wow, millions and millions and millions of dollars are effectively going nowhere (laughs) literally these millions of dollars are just going to like making sure nothing happens yeah it's so weird yeah yeah that's so true while hundreds of thousands of women and women of color are being underpaid and harassed we're just spending millions to make sure nothing changes it's just so very very bizarre that's so funny yeah protecting the status quo yeah so The last point that I want to make about why it might benefit restaurant owners as well as tipped workers to just pay servers a baseline minimum wage above $2 an hour is basically the perspective of this general manager of a restaurant, Umi Sushi. His name is Taki Tanaka, and he does pay tipped and non-tipped workers the same like baseline livable minimum wage. And he says, I was really looking at it from a manager's perspective. I thought, I want my servers to execute a certain plan that I make. Tipping the servers are not really working for me. They're working for an individual customer who will be paying not for service, but for a cute girl or a cute guy. The Mm. server may then somehow present the table with a freebie, which is a cost to the restaurant to get a higher tip. So Mm. his perspective is kind of like beyond just like wanting to pay my people better. It just feels like a waste of time trying to monitor or punish people giving out freebies. And Mm. I'd rather just have a good system where I define what good service is. Mm. And not the customer. And I want to make that decision because it's my business. That makes a lot of sense when you put it that way of like, you're creating so many more variables by every Mm -hmm. single person that walks into your establishment is the new boss. Yeah. So that's why restaurant owners can raise wages. But you and I are both not restaurant owners. (laughs) No. (laughs) So um, Sounds hard as shit. It seems really hard. Even like really skilled restaurateurs can like open a new restaurant and have grand plans and it closes within a year. Yeah. Like the dude who opened Union Square Cafe and Shake Shack, I I think he had another restaurant. And after a few years, like they had to close it because it just, you know what? It wasn't working. Yeah. Yeah. My dad used to run to sandwich shops in madrid um and he had them for years and years and years but it was like so much work like so much so work. much and it wasn't even like a you know a fine dining experience where you're getting ingredients from all these different places like he owned two versions of like a franchise that yeah. existed a little nicer than subway but like a like a kind of fast food sandwich experience yeah. and it's like you already have like the established name people recognize the product whatever it was so much focus and so much work to run that and to like keep the numbers and all this stuff and it's like and after they closed those restaurants my parents were like we are never doing anything in food again like <laughs> never ever again yeah, oh my God. I, so I many mean, moving parts. So many moving parts. I remember being slack jawed the first day on the job at that ice cream company where I did all of that catering because it had the catering branch, but it made most of its money from its storefront upstairs. Mm-hmm. So we just like worked in the basement. And I just remember the owner who to this day is the single best boss I will ever have. Like mm. I like could cry thinking about her, but 
I just remember first and foremost how fucking hard she worked. Mm -hmm. She was there before me and like left after me every single day. But it was just like things I never really realized went into the business. Like they made their ice cream on site. Okay, someone hasn't showed up today. Like how are we going to make enough for the numbers that I expect to see on the 4th of July and for these catering events that we have coming up. And like, where are we going to store this ice cream? Because we have two freezers and they're at different temperatures. And like, you need it to be a certain temperature and you need to pull it out at a certain time. So it's soft enough to scoop by a certain time. I literally felt like when I was on that job, I was doing fucking chemistry. I was like, okay, I have to serve (laughs) 100 people. And the ice cream is currently at like negative 15 degrees. And I'm bringing it in this size cooler. So I no. think it's going to be servable in the, in four hours. So I need to take it out. So I need to arrive four hours before my serving time. And then you're standing outside serving in the sun. And you're like, fuck. I took it out too short. It in. The sun. Yeah. It's like actually like so much shit to think about. Mm-hmm. But you and I, sadly, don't own restaurants. No. We have never owned restaurants. And... That also puts us in a position of not being able to, like, very directly impact the way servers are paid. So what can we do? Well, one thing is just vote for candidates who support eliminating the tip credit and tell your local representatives who are currently in office how you feel. That's something that's a priority to you. But then also ROC, Restaurant Opportunity Center, has an app called, like, I think the Diner's Guide or something. And it sort of scores restaurants. And the point is not to, like, to, like, avoid restaurants with lower scores in terms of like how they treat their workers or whatever else. Mm -hmm. But I think the point I am having technological issues and haven't been able to download it myself, but I think the point of the app is to better equip you with effective communication tools to let restaurants know I, the customer care deeply about working conditions, especially knowing that like a lot of women and women of color work in this restaurant and in this industry. And like, really need to be paid more and be getting paid safely. Like, I think it just equips you with communication tools that you can let that restaurant know that like you do want to be a repeat customer. You want to keep coming back here. And this matters a lot to you. And I think that just like the more and more and more restaurants start to hear it, the more likely they are to start hopefully making changes. So in that sense, I think we do have a little bit of leverage, but obviously vote, 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 register to vote. Do you have an example of like a communication like that of, of like, what would it look like to communicate if there was a restaurant that you really like and then you look at this thing and, and they don't treat them super well? Like what would be because you said it's not to avoid because also then it does harm the employees. Right. So right. like, do you have an example of what I a different really type of wish I did? We'll have to put some in the show notes because and we will, but I just can't get my phone to like download the app right now. But I think the app itself, I know, I know, poor timing. But I think that the app has in there the communication tools. I could be wrong. We'll clarify Mm. in the show notes whether or not my suspicion is correct. But I'm pretty sure the point is like, hey, this this restaurant doesn't score super well. Here are things you could say to the manager on shift right now or like a letter you could write or whatever the case may be. But I haven't seen them because I haven't downloaded the app yet. Yeah, I'm very curious about that. And and it's tough because it's like there's so many causes mm-hmm. to care about and like putting a lot of onus on the consumer to like do the research and do the work that like the managers should be doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if there's a cause that you care a lot about, and you put a lot more energy towards like that's awesome. And then if there are things that people can do that don't take up too much of their time mm-hmm. or like something they can say when they go out to eat or whatever. Right. That doesn't like if you were already going out to eat and that's like your leisure time, if there's like a thing you can say or something you can do or find out about while you're already doing something else. It's not like, oh, well, now it's another task that I have that I have to figure out, like, what's going on in my restaurants. <laughs> it's not another stop on your to-do list. It's, yeah. You're, if you're already going there, yeah. we're not going to tell you to avoid it. But, yeah, like, 
integrate that into the conversation somehow and not me showing up at a restaurant and being like so how much do you pay everybody here but being like <laughs> good lord <laughs> what does your tip sharing program look like how yeah much do you pay your bussers yeah who here has an actual salary raise your hand <laughs> how many how many sick days what's your turnover rate everyone yeah. <laughs> come along <laughs> Uh, I'm like tempted to be honest, but I won't. I won't. We'll look, at, we'll look at the effective communication strategies in the app and report back. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's what I think we can do. And then I just one takeaway that I had, and then I kind of want to like turn it over to you to see your thoughts. But one takeaway I have is like I think a pushback that I tend to hear when talking about feminism, especially like wage related things and the wage gap, is like, well, women choose lower paying industries and that's their fault, whatever, which obviously completely ignores the fact that when women enter industries, wages go down. When men enter industries, wages go up. It ignores the fact that women who are in the exact same profession as men are just paid less than their male counterparts. But yeah. if, if it were true, like, oh, women choose care work instead of construction or women choose to be servers at restaurants instead of in construction, whatever the case may be, that I just feel in learning as much as I have about this like tipping history and the machines and like kind of the gears at work, I think it's just sort of like further debunked that for me because it's like, no, women haven't like chosen industries that pay them less. People are putting millions and millions and millions of dollars into making sure they're paid less. This isn't an accident. Mm. People are paying these lobbying groups, funding these lobbying groups, funding these fake fucking nonprofits and like, Mm whatever like fraternizing with congress like they people are putting in the work to make sure that Mm -hmm. these people aren't paid appropriately it's not it's not just like oh it's it let's victim blame it's their fault no this is not an accident yeah and there's also a lot of time spent on like encouraging women from like the beginning of schooling of like Mm -hmm. what to play with what to focus on Mm -hmm. so it's it's more maybe more likely that you're going to pick certain industries because you've also been socialized to see yourself in those right and it's very difficult to shift that on an individual basis because Mm -hmm. when people are like oh well we need to hire for like engineers or something and we would love to hire women, but there are no women engineers. I'm like, first of all, that's not true. Yeah. But also, it's less likely that women will join companies that are more, like, male. Mm-hmm. Because it sucks to be outnumbered in that way. And sexism is so mm-hmm. prevalent and intimidating. And so the larger your company gets of, like, well, we don't have the resources to go, like, to, like, mm-hmm. universities to recruit people that have mm-hmm. like more women in their program or whatever we don't have the resources right now well by the time you get to the point that you have the resources your company is going to be all dudes and women aren't going to want to work there anyway and then you're going to blame the woman and be like they don't want to work in the engineering and it's like right. let's think right. about why they don't want to like we're funneling them into certain industries and then be like oh boo they choose and and that's another thing too is even like even if let's say you are 16 years old maybe you get pregnant with your partner and then you end up splitting up And, like, maybe you choose not to get an abortion for religious reasons. Maybe you don't have access to it. Maybe you just don't have the funds for it. Whatever the case is, let's say you choose or end up carrying the pregnancy to term and then you become the sole caretaker. Maybe you get your GED and start working in the service industry because there is a relatively low, like, barrier to entry in terms of, like, learning the necessary skill set because I feel like certain, like, food service establishments, like, They'll just train you and you'll start as a busser and then you can like pretty easily work your way up. So let's say that's what you end up doing. It's like, okay, but there's no federal parental leave. There's no public universal pre-K. It's like all of these things always go hand in hand. And so it's like if you were sort of forced to be the sole caretaker of a child and you had to drop out of high school and now you're in this industry and then we like double down on that, like, oh, we 
first of all, didn't take care of you with sex education or contraceptive methods or universal pre-K or like having other daycare programs. And then we put you in an industry industry where you're going to go through harassment. You're not going to have sick leave like X, Y, and Z. I, I just, I don't know. Yeah. That was like such a, an ineloquent tangent, but I just feel like we really put people in positions that we then blame them for. And it's like, no, we did this. Like, we really did this. Yeah. I also don't really understand that argument of, like, women, the counter argument to why the wage gap is happening or, or or whatever it is. Like, somebody saying women choose industries that pay less. Like, when people talk about the wage gap, they're talking about women get paid this compared to this for the same work. Mm-hmm. They're not completely discrete issues, but they're two different parts of the issue. Like, if you're getting paid different amounts for doing the same exact work, that's one issue. And then the fact that there are industries that are lower paid because they're predominantly women, that's a separate issue as well. Right. There shouldn't be these like lower paying industries to such a degree. Like we should be valuing that work too. Right. And then in the industries that already make a lot of money, you shouldn't have commodities trader one, commodities trader two, and a man's making more money than the woman for doing the exact same shit. Right. In a thing that actually makes a lot of money or whatever already. Like, what do you say? Right. And <laughs> even even with like the first scenario of like, oh, there are some industries at large that are paid less in general than other industries because they're predominantly female or like predominantly women of color the the question it begs the question okay but then why are you okay with that like yeah that's a you problem even even (laughs) if it even if even if women everywhere and specifically women of color are choosing lower paying jobs for some reason which trust me (laughs) we're not doing (laughs) but if if that's what is happening the point is that we're saying women in these industries are three times more likely to live in poverty and be on food stamps. We are not serving them well. Yeah. At all. They're not allowed to take sick days. Like, they're not able to make rent. X, Y, and Z. Why are you okay with that? Even if it's like, well, they chose to be in that industry. But still, they're living in poverty. Like, isn't ultimately, like, that the point? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, weaponizing, like, women's choices. I I think that people who make that choice, whether they have, like, all the agency around it or not, like we said at the top of the episode, like that work is valuable. That work is work. It deserves respect and dignity. It deserves good pay benefits, like any other corporate job or whatever. Because I'm sure that the people who work at like Chipotle corporate have benefits that the people that are actually serving the food don't. I know. You know? know, and it's like you only have a job because those people serve. And they probably never even walked into a Chipotle, you know? I know. And like <laughs> people at Chipotle corporate literally only have a salary and benefits and healthcare and a 401k and paid sick leave because there are servers in the franchises on the fucking ground serving customers. Exactly. And it's just, I, you know what? If you don't believe in raising the wage, you're not allowed to go to coffee shops or Chipotles or all, yeah. you're not, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> unless, I just, I like, yeah. you're. I hate that people can like benefit from this like actually meaningful space of community where you can gather around with your friends and enjoy a meal or enjoy a coffee. I hate I hate the idea that you can benefit from that and still think that people who make that possible do not deserve a living wage. Like how is that yeah. how is that okay? You won't get to go to restaurants. Yeah, like we're taking it, that away from you. That yeah. privilege has been revoked. Well, not only that, but like if this continues this way, prices of everything keep going up and wages don't places will have to close because people will have to like people won't be able to afford to work there right so they'll have to go elsewhere and so like then the restaurant you like will close right it's not even even before you lose the privilege of going because you suck (laughs) you might lose the privilege regardless which is what's so ironic about the whole like well as we've seen the restaurant industry was really hurting the pandemic and so if we raise the wage they're gonna hurt even more 
It's like, well, oh my God. a lot of a lot of the trouble is like getting workers to come back. Yeah. Because beyond the fact that they're not taken care of with respect to public health protocol, there's also just like no incentive to go back when, okay, I understand. And I, and again, I'm not an economist. I don't fucking get it. I understand that like some of the stimulus checks or other employment checks could have in some way, like, just don't come for me. If it contributed to inflation, so it so be it. But the point being, unemployment checks were more desirable than going back to, like, a super shitty fucking job, even if it was, like, a comparable or smaller amount. Mm -hmm. The reason restaurants are going to close their doors is not because we're raising the minimum wage. If anything, it's because because we refuse to, and because we refuse to improve conditions that they're going to close their doors because they won't be able to get their servers to come back. But yeah, so I I think that's just like one of the main takeaways is this is an ass backwards industry. We are spinning our wheels, getting nowhere. And it is unsurprising that the people who are bearing the brunt of the disadvantage are women and women of color. And I do think that like it is important to thank the generations of women who are responsible for things like benefits and like eight hour workdays and weekends and I don't know. There's this Jane Quanta yeah. quote that maybe we can end on, <laughs> which mm-hmm. when we when I say women, let's picture like women of color and white women, not just white women, because I worry about white as default. But <laughs> mm. this Jane Fonda quote, women lead the way they always have and they always will. If you're not a part of the status quo, what have you got to lose? We'll always be braver. Mm. I thought that was kind of girl bossy, but also kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like a lot, a, a lot of like labor movements that were like led by women and I think women's voices or like impact has been kind of erased but like yeah there's a lot with respect to the minimum wage and sexual harassment and all of this stuff that they've been doing like generations of women for a long time to make yeah our lives better and I want to in turn pay it back and try and continue on that work exactly and in the meantime don't be a dick when you go to a restaurant yeah don't be a dick tip 20 (laughs) percent if you have a problem tell the manager (laughs) and uh ask them what they pay Culture Colander is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn.